Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. I mean, we just we just talked about the fact that you you could be playing hockey right now if 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 you wanted to. Um, how old are you for people that don't know? Yeah, I'm 31 years old. Like I still got still got quite the left, life left ahead of me, but yeah, 31. 31, and you're sober over a year, like right, like literally just celebrated your anniversary, right? Yeah, on uh, June 6th, the last month there, just hit my one year, man, and it's I'm 13 grateful, months thankful, or 13 dude. months uh, tomorrow. Yes, yes. All right, so let's. I want to go back into your story now. You are you in Ontario now? I'm in. I'm a Saskatchewan Sus- boy, okay. born and raised. So you're yeah. in Saskatchewan. You were born and raised in Saskatchewan. At what point did hockey become a huge part of your life? Man, is honestly since I was two years old, I had I have two older brothers that kind of led the way for me. Right, there are two big sports guys too. The one's four years older and the other one's six. So I kind of led. They led me the path to play hockey, and I know my parents were so busy with my brothers. Right, so. I had to follow along with them, go on the bus trips, go to the hockey rink. So I fell in love with it at such a young age, man. Whenever time I had a hockey stick in my hand, I knew this is my life. I knew I wanted to be a hockey player ever since the age of two. So I had, I fell in love with the game quick, man. All right, so there's there, there's a passion right there. How about the alcohol and drugs? When did that come into your life? Yeah, so that's a good question, Pete. So it's right when I moved away at 15 years old, I had to go pursue a hockey dream to go play some midget AAA. From being in a small town in Saskatchewan and Kinnersey, we didn't have that. We only had A hockey or AA hockey, right? So for me, in order to pursue my NHL dream, I had to move away from home at such a young age and start to get billeted. I had to make new friends, obviously attend a new school. And right then, my first rookie party, man, it was ever since I – alcohol touched my lips i fell in love with it man so at 15 but at 15 you you move away from home are are you excited about this because as an athlete um it makes total sense you're following your dream it's like black and white right but as a person i would imagine there's a little bit of baggage to that what 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 do you remember from that that decision or, or i guess that move yeah, I remember, man. I was scared shitless. Um, being in a hometown in Kindersley, man, in, in a small town of 4,500 people, I was the only kid my age and around this neck of the woods that had an opportunity to go. And my parents, we were kind of green people, meaning we didn't really know much about the outside world and outside hockey world. I just ended up getting the God-given talent, I guess, and kind of relied on the outside world to talk to my parents to find the best route for myself. And Man, I remember packing up that minivan and me and my mom taking me. And I remember I was scared. I was homesick. My mom's my best friend growing up. My dad's my role model. And I'm super close to my family. But I knew I knew I had to, man. And and now looking back, like I know I was hockey ready physically wise. I was ready. But mentally, 
I, I didn't know what I was getting myself into and I didn't really have anyone to, to talk to about it, right? Because I was the only kid in my neck of the woods that got this opportunity. So we relied on a lot of outsiders, man, to, to help me with my decision making and everything. And I knew I had to go at a young age. And, and when I did, it was quite the eye opener for me, Pete. And you go there. So you, so you, you leave home at, at 15. You mentioned that you start to drink. Is the culture already... Uh, a, a, a one of drinking at 15 years of age, oh. getting into quote unquote pro hockey. Yeah, it's 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 almost scary when you think about it. We have a junior A program here in Kinnersley, and I remember when I was a kid, I used to be a stick boy and, and water boy for these guys, and I always seen all these guys drinking and whatnot. But I didn't think I didn't think I was going to get that involved with it, man. When I when I moved to Saskatoon and attending the new school, like I was a popular kid in my in my hometown, right? I was always the leader. I would imagine so. You got charisma. Yeah. You got the look. Yeah, you're, you're a star athlete. <laughs> yeah, and like I was never the bully, too, right? I was always I was a good kid growing up. Like I've had I had all the traits and everything, but when I moved away, I almost had to paint a picture on my face. I had to hide my feelings because you're right. This this hockey culture, man, it's it's tough guy mentality it's if you have any problem or, or thinking you have any problem you don't know who to go to because mental health wasn't even a talk back in the day and when I was 15 years old going away so man honestly I rem- I'll never forget my rookie party um obviously the hazing going on I, I remember we had a we had a chug Colt 45 piss warm beers <laughs> taped to our hands we had a we had a dance naked in front of in front of parties and stuff but I was just the culture right and we my my mentality going in there, man. I wanted to be liked, and I wanted the vets to like me. Me being a rookie, I wanted to be the guy where the vets could like. So I almost painted a picture on my face. I was the most outgoing kid at parties, and I remember, man, the very first party, I was really, really drunk, and my my nervousness was gone. My my uh, anxiety, my depression. These are the things I did not know what was going on. I thought everyone was dealing with it, and I thought just me moving away from home was the reason why I'm feeling these ways, and. Man, ever since I, I touched that alcohol to my lips, it was, it was a regular everyday occurrence, man. Yeah, so y- you mentioned, I mean, it sounds, I can relate a lot. You know, it's almost like you're, you're telling my story in a sense that like the moment, and you know, you're a much better uh, hockey player than I was football player, but the moment I started to find my identity uh, with sports, it was really synonymous with the moment I started to drink and like it. And it all, and, and there was a social component too, where I was like, okay, this is my, this is who I am as a person socially. I'm a hockey guy, or in my case, I'm the athlete that goes out and gets drunk, you know. And then girls come into my orbit, and then it's like that's another thing that I'm driven by. Those were my north stars, right? And, and sports and education being the last ones, but you know, hockey or, or football, um, or I'm sorry, alcohol and 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 women, right? That was a huge thing. It was a huge. I mean, I got sidetracked still get sidetracked today right with some of that stuff you know not not the alcohol but the relationships what did you uh what kind of like reception did you get from the veterans like when you say veterans first of all how old are they they're they would be in the 17 so midget triple a would be 17 year old would be your would be your last year and yeah, man, I just remember I, I was a light kid, but that's all because I was the clown. I was the guy that one sec. Hey, uh, sorry about that. <laughs> um, oh, this is my guy, Duke, my dog in the background. Yeah, he's a handsome <laughs> devil, dude. Oh, man. But yeah, just like going back to the vet, man, like my goal, I just I just wanted to be the light from being the top end kid around my neck of the woods and me being the popular guy in school. I'm like, hey, 
how am I going to do this? How am I going to go into Saskatoon? It's such a big city now, me attending school, and these great girls took over my life. When I seen a party of all these girls, like my eyes just lit up. And, and you're right, sports and everything was kind of the second nature to me. And ever since I, I started drinking alcohol, it just went downhill from there. I, I started not even caring about hockey. I was still a top scorer of that hockey team. Like, I was still – a good player, but like hitting the gym, that wasn't even in my, in my brain. I would not go to the gym, you know, my schoolwork. I remember getting suspended my first month going into my new high school. Like it was just, it was, it was a wrecking ball, man. And I did not know how to speak up because you know how it is with this hockey and sports culture. It's, it's the tough guy mentality. And, and I was too scared to talk to my buddies, like my, my teammates about what was really going on with me being nervous and, and, and homesick. And I was scared to tell my parents because, Everything they done for me, man. Everything they, all the money they blown on me with hockey, all the road trips they done with me. The last thing I wanted to do is call my mom and dad saying, I don't want to do this anymore. But it's that fucked up mentality. First of all, let me stop you it there, is. DJ. Like you, yeah, <laughs> your parents didn't blow money on you. You know what I mean? You were a great player. Like you, you went there. I mean, clearly the guy you are today is an important effective person and now you're you're really having an impact right and we'll talk about that in a little bit but like this is all part of who you were like you you earned that i mean a lot of people would what i would imagine would really die to be in your in your shoes at, at, at 15 you know um and it's very obvious you, you got this great humility about you but when you're when you're there and you feel like you know you're blowing you said blowing the money i wanted to get back to that did you feel like it was because you were drinking and like kind of kind of oh, yeah. fucking off you're like oh my gosh my parents are putting money into this i'm drinking cuz then for me it sounds like the shame thing just that 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 cycle oh man 100% and then you know giving me money transferring me money to to go with food and school and whatnot but here i am going to liquor board stores and yeah. and spending that and you're right it's the shame man you know i i painted a picture on my face every time my parents called to check in like it was still regular but i would not tell them what was going on i'm always saying i'm having a great time you know but deep down i'm hurting because i couldn't find a way i couldn't talk to i couldn't talk to a coach what was going on the coaches back in the day it was pure intimidation game I, I was lucky to get a couple words in with the coach back in the day. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. and it's just like if I did go and share, hey, coach, I'm homesick or whatever, I was scared of being a distraction to the team or, you know, dropping down the lineup. Like all those things, especially being a 15-year-old kid looking now, looking back, like it's hard, man, moving away at such a young age and trying to deal with real life. You're so used to being with mom and dad, you know, making the decisions for you, but now – going to a new high school, making new friends. And, and you kind of get a, a, a little bit of a leverage, right? You kind of, you're not with your parents anymore. You kind of get a sneak away and, and experience the real world. And it really, really, I experienced it really quick. So was, yeah, man, I know there's a, there's a lot of shame in it. Well, yeah. What was your first consequence? Something that you remember happening, whether you were 15 or 18, where you were like, holy shit, like this is either you got in trouble or you saw it affecting your play. Yeah, um, this would have been my first year. Um, well, it goes so we had a rookie party, and the vets shaved my head, but like halfway, and they paint or they shaved like a smiley face in the back of my head, right? And I remember showing up. It was a Catholic school. I remember showing up the next day, still drunk, and and me being an idiot to the whole school, like me being the because I was a class clown, right? And I'll never forget. I got suspended that day from school. 
And, uh, and the next day I couldn't deal with it. And I remember we had, uh, we played a game that night and we lost big time and we had to be at the rink by six o'clock in the morning. So we're going to go on the ice and get bag skated. We're going to, you know, like that. And, and my sweet thing, there's me and two other buddies that stayed in the rink parking lot and, and drank ourselves all night and, and stayed at the rink in the parking lot and drank, man. And right then I knew, I knew something was wrong. You know what I mean? Because and and the next day, I remember the coach coming in and and losing a strip off us and and telling us. And I remember I was lost, man. And I was starting to do these things that I never want that I never knew I could. Right? You no, know, I'm I, hockey was life for me, yeah. and now I'm and now I'm skipping and all this stuff. Like, yeah, I'm just getting suspended from school. Like, it was a tough. Going there are for me I, at a young I always age, say man. like there are doors that I went through through an addiction that that. I, I could never go back through um, without getting sober, right? Because I'd pass through these doors and, you know, hanging over the door before I went through was just a shitload of shame. And then I would get on the other side of that shame and now now I'm living with it and I'm operating in this world where I just, I'm not feeling good about myself. I have no self-esteem, so I just, the cycle continues. What what else happened as far as like your play on the ice? Did you continue to play well? Did you did you live up to your reputation? Was it worthwhile for you to play pro? You know, I did. I I was just a natural born gifted guy, and I remember after my first year. Now this is the WHL, the Western Hockey League draft, and that's a pretty big deal for us Western boys. Obviously, the best kids in in Western Canada get drafted, and I'll never forget. So after the first year. I went back to my hometown and finished off the school year and uh, I was smoking cigarettes. I remember I was smoking weed. I was drinking beers in my 10 to 15 minute breaks at schools. I was just so scared about the outside world. What are they thinking about DJ? Now that I'm home, I have so many kids looking up to me, right? And, and me being in that headspace, I was. And coming back home, I was lost, Pete. And I'll never forget, I was sitting in math class and uh, it was the draft day. And I knew about the draft, but I didn't really know too much knowledge about it. And I'll never forget, I was sitting in math class and I got a, a intercom, DJ McGrath, come down to the office. And I'll never forget, I walked, get up, walked down the office and every single school teacher was giving me a standing ovation. And I'm like, well, what's going on? And congratulations, DJ, you got drafted, what, third round, 66th overall. That's to a the huge average deal. Silver tips. It is, man. It is. It's I, I, you know, looking back, I, I wish I would have took it different, but man, I was scared shitless. I'll never forget. I was hiding it. No, thank you to everyone. I remember going home and giving my mom and dad a big hug, and we looked on the map. And Everett, Washington, from my hometown, is a twenty-two hour drive. Really? And I remember, yeah, man. I remember just sitting there, like, fuck. How am I supposed to do this? Like, how am I supposed to do this? I'm already homesick. Two hours away from home. I'm drinking every day. Smoking weed, smoking cigarettes, hiding everything from. And so you're everyone, feeling, a, you're feeling like a stress. I, I would almost say like you're, oh, yeah. you're pretty evolved emotionally because some some people wouldn't even at a young age like that, they would just be like, okay, this is what comes with it. I drink, I whatever. But you were pretty. The light bulb was on, and you were kind of like, fuck. How am I going to keep this charade up, f- even further away from home? I'm going to need this stuff oh. more. Is that what you were thinking? Very nice. Dude, and you're 16, hardest. 17. Yeah, I was 17 years old because I didn't make it that year. I had to go back and play in Saskatoon, but I went back the next year and I finally got in shape and I told myself I needed to do it. And I did make that team. I lost all this weight. And I finally was like, Deej, I was still drinking though. Like I <laughs> And you were drinking. a scorer. You were, you, you, when you got into pro hockey, you were, you were a scorer, right? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was a big time goal scorer until I until I finally made that ever team and it ended up being a, a fifth liner. I would like to say I was. Uh, <laughs> it was tough, man. Yeah, there was a lot of guys. It's just hard from being a top end kid in my neck of the woods and then heading out to Everett, man. I remember I was I was the fourth fifth line. I remember walking into practice and my coach. He played in the NHL for a long time and he was just a pure intimidation dude. I was scared to scared to talk to him. And this is a 17-year-old kid living 22 hours away from home and, and playing that intimidation card on me, right? It, it was tough, man. I started getting back into drinking. I know I got better uh, when I went down to Everett. I'm like, hey, DJ, I got to do something for myself. You know, not many kids get to play in the Western Hockey League like you do. And first month I was there, I had I had to go to a different high school again. It, it was scary, especially going in the States. And then me not playing, me being healthy scratch the first half of the year. I, I ended up picking up the bottle again, smoking weed again every single day, Pete. And, and I turned into a big alcoholic and I only lasted a couple of years there because my headspace, my depression, anxiety and that. And I remember there was a mental health guy. This is a big story, Pete. There's a mental health guy on our on our team when I was in the Western Hockey League. And we had to go down to the hotel room and meet this individual once a month and talk about her feelings. <laughs> I, I couldn't do it, man. This guy had zero. This guy had zero uh, uh, past on being a sports guy. He wasn't even played any sports. Like it was hard for me to relate to the guy. For me to talk to this guy because he would relay our message to the coach, right? Yeah. And there's no way in hell me being 17 years old, I would tell this guy because I was scared. I was scared of getting traded. I was scared of being the distraction to the team. There's no way in hell that I would have told anyone. So after those two years, Pete, I ended up quitting the Western Hockey League, and I ended up moving back home to Kinnersley to play for my hometown at Junior A. And how much of a come down, how much of a come down was that? You know what it was, but Junior A is still is still a pretty good hockey league. But that's the school route, so there's a different there's a different hockey route you can go. The Western Hockey League, you got to make a decision at 15 years old if you want to play in the Western Hockey League or if you want to play Div One and and go college. Gotcha. Route, so you right? went. So you re-navigated back to the school route. Yeah, okay. but I had to, right? I had because no one, no other dub team was picking me up, so I had to go back and play the school rope. But now I. But can't you're not get giving up on the dream at this point in time. I'm not. Yeah. No, I'm not. But I. But you know what? I I had to when I came back. I couldn't get a scholarship anymore because I played in the Western Hockey League. Why? You had to make that oh, decision. Gotcha. Because you, you made to, money. You know, okay. Yep. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. So now when I come back to my junior A team, I can't get a scholarship. So I'm like thinking in the back of my head, I'm kind of pissing my career away here, Deej. Now you're back in your hometown, which was my dream to play for my hometown team when I was a kid. But now I can't get a scholarship. I'm 18 years old now. Coming back to my hometown, this is where it started escalating, man. Yeah, so what started to happen? That's kind of what happened with me in my life. Like I ended up getting a job, a good job, but back around Philadelphia. And uh, man, it was pretty bad. I was just all my old haunts and all my my people Mm -hmm. had evolved like I had and they were evolving into like, you know, unsavory stuff, whatever. But so yeah. you, you, your path takes you back home and you said it got, it got real bad. Take me inside a day of like, how, how are you getting by at this point? Yeah. So I'm, I'm back in my parents' house, back in the basement. Um, you are you, know, are, that's are you very... drinking down there? Are you sneaking alcohol oh, yeah. or anything? I yeah. am, I am partying, you know, right when practice was done, I'd come home and, and grab a case of beer and, I always had a but not being hometown. I had some hometown friends I could go and sneak away for a bit and drink. And I had a bad knee injury my that, that year. I remember I was I came back home and I was doing pretty good uh, being in a young guy in that league. 
until I until I got hit and I ruptured my ACL. I tore it off, tore my MCL and my kneecap meniscus at the mm. same time, and that's where it went downhill, man. I remember I couldn't even show up to the rink without being drunk. I couldn't watch my teammates without being drunk. I was happy I, I, I got prescribed some pills, um, and I'm so thankful to this day because I started getting hooked on them. You know, yeah. I, uh, T3s and all those painkillers. What that are T3s? The doc- Tylenol? T3s is like a, yeah, it's yeah. like a really like a step yeah, above sure, the sure. normal Tylenol and stuff like that, and obviously the other serious ones. And I'm glad my mom kind of looked out for me there because I was starting to use them. I was starting to take them. It was starting to numb me, my feelings, my anxiety, my depression, because I was a hometown hero, man, is what they call me, hometown kid coming back to play for yeah. his hometown, and now me getting hurt, now me being a full-blown alcoholic, smoking cigarettes, smoking weed. I was so scared about people finding out about what was really going on, yeah. man. And after that knee injury, I'd have missed that whole year. I'll never forget, I got sent to, I got sent to the Edmonton Oilers training staff. I thought it was pretty cool. The Edmonton <laughs> Oilers reached out to my coach. It was like, I want to I wanna work with this kid uh, because I didn't, didn't get an MRI yet on my knee. And I remember going out there and I worked hard with them. It's Northern's got it strong. And I remember coming back for coming back for a girls hockey practice. And I remember I was, I went out for a skates and just my skates glove and stick on just to test it out. Cause I, playoff was coming around the corner and me being a hockey guy, there's no way in hell I was missing that playoffs. <laughs> right. And yeah. I remember getting on the ice and I went straight was fine. Did a left turn was fine. And then right. And all of a sudden smack my knee buckled to the ground. Found out I tore my meniscus and everything, and right there, man, it was it was hell. So does that it set was, you off in a whole nother direction as far as substance, yeah. alcohol, and drugs are concerned? Because I, I know you, like me, uh, a big cocaine guy. Like when? Yeah. When did that? You know, when 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 did that collision take place? That happened. So that was my 18 year old year, and I ended up playing till I was 20 years old with the Clippers, and I got to be the hometown captain. For the Clippers, which is a huge, huge responsibility, and I and we ended up not having a good year. But I got a full ride scholarship to Red Deer Alberta College. So this is the first. This is when I got introduced to cocaine. Okay. I, I after my twenty year old year, Pete, I got a full ride scholarship. I had five free because you can play in because, can, you can get a scholarship to play in Canada, right? Like in Alberta, yeah, like a yeah. university. So that's what happened, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. So now I'm going to college, and now this is the first time where I'm going to school. I'm playing hockey and I'm living on my own. I mm. got no more billets anymore. So this is a big responsibility. I remember heading out there. I was like, hey, D, just another fresh start for you. And I remember heading out there the first couple of weeks were good until I found a bar. Yeah. And every day, every day, I, I just couldn't get out of it. My feelings and everything. And I ended up after the first year, I ended up staying out there. I worked for the city of Red Deer that summer. And that was the first time my buddy that wasn't on the hockey team, came over and we were drinking after work or whatever, pulls out a bag of cocaine, threw it on the table, man. And I, and I remember I was scared, but I said, what, I'm already a full-blown alcoholic. I'm pissing my career away. What's cocaine? I remember the first line I did, man, it was, it was heaven. It was, it was the best thing that happened to me to be completely honest, man. My, all my feelings, everything was numb. And that led me to a 10 year, 10 years straight cocaine every day after I did that first line of cocaine. Any addiction in your family? No. There I know there's some alcohol blood yeah. running the family back in back in the tree there but nothing to do with drugs man. I it was all me. You start to do the coke and how prominent is that in your 24 hour a day life? It got terrible. 
it, it was bad. I relied on it so much. I only lasted another year in Red Deer and ended up quitting after that. Because you take it all before day. you practice or play? or Yeah, you know what I did, man. I It was towards my second year I stopped showing up for practice. I stopped showing up for, for, for team functions or whatever. And it was a pretty big thing for us to play. And I was the assistant captain on that team too. <laughs> and I, I don't know how I did it, man. And honestly, I, I started doing drugs every day, all day. But it got worse when I quit Red Deer. Pissed my career away. Now I'm back home in Canada. Did, did you play? Uh, what, did you play at all on cocaine, or I didn't. No, okay. I, I, obviously I did a little bit of rec fun hockey. Yeah, but sure. That was this is a whole another level, man. But no, I I didn't do that because my heart would jump right through me. But no, I I I was good. But I mean, obviously, man, when I'm going on a three to four day bender and I play the next night, you're not good. No, you did. did now, like a, you, you said you only lasted a year. Was it coaches, other people on the team? Did did they kind of smoke you out, or did you just did you, you were you just ineffective and and unaccountable? And it, it wasn't even that. Like I I was effective on that in the <laughs> hockey games, like and stuff. That's a thing. But it was me. I couldn't handle it anymore. I you know I pissed school away. I wasn't even showing up for school. That I was trying to be a school teacher. I wanted to be a school teacher when I grew up, and I I, I pissed that all away. I wasn't showing up for hockey. I wasn't showing up for school. And my parents were feeding me money, man, thinking I'm spending it on food, I'm spending it on school, my rent that I'm paying out in Red Deer, but it's all going to drugs. And I remember after I played two years there and after my second year, I remember calling my dad. I said, Dad, I, I'm ready. I'm done. I want to I wanna do the real world now. I'm, hockey's not for me. But I couldn't tell him what was going on. Yeah. I couldn't tell my dad a sniff, man, because he's my role model. And I was just scared of what they were going to say. Take me inside your relationship with women as this is starting to – to, to become, oh, you know, you're, you're, you're big time into cocaine now. Yeah. I, 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 you know what? Now looking back, man, I lost a lot of great women in my life. Mm-hmm. A lot of right ones that came in. Now looking back, they were trying to help me. They didn't really know to a certain extent, but they knew something was going on, but I didn't get my, I didn't have any feelings anymore. I didn't care about anything. My feelings were frozen when I was doing cocaine and I would hang around with the, the strangest people, like people I would never hang out with, but here I am. <laughs> Four o'clock in the morning, the party with these individuals, dude. Man. I can, oh, I can yeah. relate, dude. Yeah. Oh my oh, god. Yeah. Just, yeah. It was tough, man. Like, <laughs> like my relationships, my relationships sucked. Like yeah. it was not. Were people? Were people loud. still like? Now you're the hometown hero. Um, you know, and hockey is over with, right? At this point, because you you tell your dad, hey, I need to do the real world thing after a year. It's, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but after a year at school, right, you come back home, you're like, two years, it. two years. Two years, okay. Yeah. You're like, I can't even, yeah. you know, you just blow out your whole career. Um, so you're back home and you're doing drugs. What, what is, what, what, what is your elevator pitch when you see people? Like, what are you fucking telling them about your life? That was something I struggled with. Like, and it's always so pathetic when you get somebody in active addiction and I'm not taking people's inventory in the moment, but you can kind of tell it's like, Hey, how you doing? And the person tells you way too much about <laughs> what's going on. And you can tell like, and Oh man, they're not doing so hot. Like they're not where they expected to be in life. Like they think I care and I can see it. I can see that, uh, you know, if I know ahead of time that somebody might be addicted or alcoholic, I'm like, Oh yeah, this is all, this all makes sense now. What, what, what was your, you know, pitch to people. What were you telling people? Yeah. Well, that's now looking back, Pete, like I, when I, right when I came back home, I ended up selling vehicles in my hometown. So I was dealing with the public 
every day, all day. I don't know. I still don't know how I did it, yeah. but I, I, I remember like when people talked to me, it was, I tried to, I tried to relate it back to them. I tried, I wanted to talk to them because I was so defensive. I didn't want anyone to think or realize what was really going on. Like whenever someone asked like, Deej, is everything okay? I'm like, Oh, what are you talking about, man? Everything is good. Yeah. And I would try switching the subject, right? Cause I did not want anyone to have a lick of what was really going on with me. Cause I was scared of being judged. I was scared of what my hometown is going to think of DJ McGrath. Now he's done hockey. I already feel like I'm a no one. Yeah. I already feel like I was always a hockey kid. Now I am the guy that only know that only knew the real reason why I'm back in Kinnersley when everyone thinks, well, I, I just gave up and I, now I'm home, but no one knew I was a full blown cocaine addict and, and an alcoholic. Where were you and, getting the and, coke, by the way, when you were living close to oh, home? Like, man, like I'm not I'm asking looking, for a person, but like, like, yeah. like all over the place. Well, honestly, man, like small town of 4,500 people, and where I grew up, it's it's a really competitive town. It's a big oil and gas town and farming community. So mm-hmm. I can honestly look out my front window. I can't really see the house, but I could. It's down the road, man. Okay. So what my thing? What I do, Pete, before work, I work six days a week. Before I'd go to the dealer's house, grab what I got. And then, and then after work, I go re up myself and and do it again. But every day after five thirty, I'd come home, shut my curtains, lock my doors, and cry myself to sleep every night for ten years. Were, were you doing drugs while you're selling cars and stuff? No, I wasn't. But obviously, like right when that five thirty hit, yeah, like it yeah. was game time for me, man. But obviously, I, when I wasn't sleeping, I barely got any sleep. Yeah. So I was obviously bunged up on on drugs. When alcohol, I was going alcohol to work. too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It was an everyday. I, I now looking back, I, I, I didn't not necessarily need alcohol anymore. I, I was, there was a time in my life where I would just buy cocaine. I didn't need to be drunk. Wow. I didn't need to drink in order to do cocaine. It was the opposite. Matt. See, I was always, I was always like, I heard Jason Bateman say this once, you know, he's sober, the actor. And he would say it was like alcohol and drugs. It's like alcohol and cocaine. It was like fries and ketchup. Like I always mm-hmm. had to have the two together. And I know people that, yeah. that weren't necessarily like that all the time. You were one of those people. Yeah. How does how do you start to really crater? I mean, you've shared with me and the research I've done. I mean, dude, you were going through an more an eight two eight balls a day. Is that right? Uh close, man. Yeah. I mean, not consecutive days, but I mean it was it was up there. Cocaine's a drug where you it's too hard to quit, right? Yeah. And, yeah, man, it, it was bad. I got really, really bad. It was rock bottom. Like I, I'm thankful I'm here today, man, because on June 6 was the was the do or die situation for me, Pete. So. What brought us up to June 6? I mean, you've got no hockey. Are, are you dating anybody at this point in time before you get sober? I mean, because you, you <laughs> yeah, you've, you've, you've you've screwed up your hockey career. You've screwed up your personal relationships. Um, it's clear that you've you know we always have that bullshit voice. That tells us we're not good enough. I still duke it out with that once, you know, every couple of days. Um, but when you do, we, then we have shame that we actually earn, <laughs> which is always a motherfucker. So you got no. So then you you pile the reality stuff in there. It's just a real tough deal to snap out of. Like so, and I guess the, I want to hear how you snapped out of it. But I, I asked you a question before that. Yeah, what's your what's the dating situation like coming up coming up to this? bottom yeah um obviously i had some relationships terrible relationships i know yeah. i i remember dating dating a mother with three kids and and i did it because i was lonely i think 
I did it because my I was not in the headspace, man. Like I got relationships that now looking back was thank God I didn't pursue this because I was going downhill, man. I, I I was so lonely and I just wanted someone to love me, and I just started trying to find relationships, the wrong ones, and it and it was bad, man. Like whenever like I'm still bad to this day. Like I still don't trust myself with getting a relationship right now, Pete, because. I'm still working on myself and I'm bad. If there was like, if we got in an argument or a fight, well, I'm going to get an eight ball of cocaine and I'm going to do it all. <laughs> and you know, cause I didn't give a shit yeah. about anything anymore. And I don't know how that happened to me. Cause I was just a small town athlete where, where I remember in elementary school, there would be mental health guys coming in and talking to me about drugs and alcohol. But here I am, this is never going to happen to me. I'm an athlete. I'm a hockey player. I haven't seen this shit in my life. Well, here I am 15 years later, man. I, I, I'm happy. But yeah, going back to relationships, I I think just because the monster I created, man, yeah. I, I found and, and attracted the wrong people. So yeah, it was a tough go, dude, for 10 years. All right, so how, how what happens that leads to this? For me, I had the gift of desperation. You know, what happened to you? What, what does your bottom look like? I mean, it's not too long ago. It's it's 13 months ago to, to the day tomorrow. I mean, so break that down. Yeah, so this is 11 o'clock at night, man. This is me doing cocaine every single day. Like I said, after work, I'd shut the curtain, shut the door, do cocaine and cry myself to sleep. And there was one night, June 6th, uh, 2020, 2022, I had enough. I, I had uh, I was ready to die. It was everything, everything I lied about to my parents – me wrecking my career, me me doing this to myself. I all the pressures, all my anxiety, depression built up so much. I was ready to end it. You know that was on my mind, but I still can't explain this feeling, Pete. It was almost like a devil on one side, an angel on the other, man. And the devil telling me, "You're fine, Deej. You're gonna wake up tomorrow. Everything's gonna be okay." But I finally had a sense of hope, man. I still can't explain this feeling but it was a feeling where Deej this is the night where you can tell someone you could finally go and tell someone I still can't think like I still can't describe it but it's a do or die situation for me man and I remember I was like okay I gotta go tell my mom and dad I have to are you living with them or are you living like no I'm living in my own house now Uh um and so it's 11 o'clock at night on June 11 o'clock at night I was do or die. You know, I had a rope in my room and everything. You man, did. If you're going to be complete, completely honest, like it was, I tear up when I think about it, man, because everything like, fuck, like, how does that happen to an athlete? You know, how does that happen to, to us where we had everything? I didn't have any trauma when I was a kid, Pete. I didn't have anything, man. I had everything. And then this happens. And I remember I said, fuck, I got to do this. I know I have life left in me. I don't want to do this to my mom and dad. And I remember driving to my mom and dad's house. It's about a, a five minute drive. And it took me a half hour, dude. Different scenarios going through my head. I don't want to let my mom and dad down. Everything they've done for me, man. I did not want to let them down. I finally pulled up to that house, man. And remember walking up the stairs, opening up that front door. And my mom's standing across the room and I start bawling. It was like a, a sense of release. It's like everything that I've been holding in for 10 years. Finally, it's coming out of me. And I remember my dad walking up the stairs. This guy's my role model, man. This guy is my guy. And he came upstairs. I bawled even more. And the first thing, first words that came to my mouth was, I'm dancing with the devil. No. And 
Yeah, man, that was the only thing that came out of my mouth was I'm dancing with the devil. And the best thing my mom and dad did for me is let me talk. They did not interrupt me with everything. I laid out everything on that table, dude. Everything from from 16 years old right to 29 now, let years me ask old. You, did, I got to stop you. Did they have any idea? They did. They had a little bit of idea, but not to that certain extent. Yeah, yeah. Because I stopped going to family functions. I, I have two nephews I'm supposed to be with, and I'm not. I'm so distancing, distancing myself. Four of the best friends I've lost. I started didn't, – I didn't show up to the hockey rink, man. I'm supposed to be playing hockey with my buddies playing senior. I left the game for three years. I did not go to the hockey rink, so they obviously knew what was going on. But three words that saved my life, Pete, and I still uh, – uh, Thing ever my mom gave me the biggest hug after, hug after man said she was proud of me what did you say what were those three words that's what she said to me was she was proud of me that's uh-huh. what saved my life because after i told everything after i laid out absolutely everything on that table i didn't know what their reaction was i i you know how scary it is the process you gotta do after my mom gave me a big hug and said she was proud of me man and right then it was just like wow like i did it finally i finally did and i just felt like lighter i felt like a new man and she asked what I wanted to do, and I, I said, you know, I didn't really know much about AA or counseling or whatever, but I said, you know what, I, I got something to prove to myself. You know, everything I've done to myself, I shipped myself and my dog to the lake for, for two weeks, and worst two weeks of my life. Best did you just, like, life, detox out it. there? I detoxed out there, man. By yourself? By myself, and I Did anybody come check on you to m- fucking make sure you were alive? No, I, I made sure I, I text my yeah. mom every day, but I didn't want anyone near me. I didn't want anyone near me. It was I was shitting. Like it was wow. terrible, man. My thought, oh, it was. It was yeah, terrible, I mean, dude, I, I get still- it. I mean, like, you know, that's why when you check into re- rehab, and this is, I mean, look, man, I would never promote that because you always want medical aid around, and you. Know, but I totally get what you did. I mean, like, I, and and I I kind of love it to be honest with you. Like, when you go to detox somewhere, like. It's fucking scary. Like they are, there's a reason there's round the clock, like people are checking on you and stuff because it gets that ugly. Um, and you had, I look, man, I, I love, you know, you're hardcore. That's hardcore. You know, you went out there, it kind of is who you are, which is something that is to respect and also to admire and love. I want to go back a little bit when you talked about, because I know you probably know this or you were talking about, you know, how did we get, how did I get here? How did, you know, I had everything, you know, and in my experience with that is like, you know, and if there's something, if there's somebody out here listening, right. Thinking about this, like there's nothing wrong with you. Like how you got like that is like, you're fucking different. Like the way you describe doing that first line of Coke, I relate to it. Lucky for us that fucking 95% of the country cannot you know, or I don't know the exact number, but that is a specific, for me, I always believe it was a predisposition because my family, you know, I just look at my whole family um, on my dad's side, but like, well, and, and I didn't realize this till I was out of the woods, right? Till I, till I realized you don't know what you don't know, but like I was, there's nothing wrong with you. You're, 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 you have a fucking disease that when you put that shit in your body, you are going to react differently than. 95 like i said or whatever percent of, of of humanity like so that's not there's nothing wrong like you know what i mean and there's a way out and it's like and you're talking about that now 
you sharing your experience and the way you do it with other kids, you know, or, or, with with kids and with other men, young men, and like going into schools and talking to young athletes and going to hockey teams, like that is the way out, you know, like what you're doing. So after you, I just wanted to say that because it's like such a trip. But what you're doing yeah. is, is so special. After you go to um, to detox for for two weeks, what do you do? What happens then? You know, what are we doing on June twentieth? Yeah, it was scary, Pete. I I remember I after those two weeks, I was ready to come home and and I was re- like I was so scared to spill the beans to everyone, man. I was so scared of what everyone was going to think of me. I was so scared, man. Like, oh my god, now DJ's a hockey player, now he's a drug addict and then an alcoholic. Like, that was a very hard thing for me and I remember I went back to work. I went back to work, kept doing my thing. And I started telling my somebody's what was really going on and I remember uh, I had a good conversation with a buddy. It's about three months in, and he's like, Deej, man, there, there's so many people out there that are struggling. There's so many athletes right now that are that are struggling right now. And I knew that. And I just knew there was a, something I could do with my story because I thought I was the only one going through this, Pete. You probably did too when you were mm-hmm. going through your thing. Like, I didn't think anyone could relate to me. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to create a Facebook. I'm going to create an Instagram and I'm going to create a TikTok. And I remember it was one of the scariest things getting my face out there. But I, I did one TikTok video, Instagram and Facebook and said my story just a little quick. How long were you sober when you start, when you did that first TikTok? Yeah. Oh yeah. It was about three months in, man. Obviously I was still battling. I was still like, it's tough, man, trying to do everything on my own. And I, now I had a support system like my mom and dad. Mm -hmm. But I didn't. I didn't know the sober community like meeting yourself and people yeah, out there yeah. until I, until I stepped out of my comfort zone until I until I did that, and I tell you the truth, Pete. To this day, this is what is saving my life. Mm-hmm. Was when I finally was vulnerable and had the courage to share my story. And when I did that, three months later, I this is what saves my life is for me being vulnerable on, on camera and sharing my story. So I agree. that saved my life. That uh, saved my uh, life, man. And for me, look, it's not for everybody, but I was pretty much the same way. And 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 maybe maybe we are the same like this. Like I, I had to hit such a bottom and I had I was so destroyed that everybody knew what was wrong with me. Right? Like I so really I, I was beaten down so much that my only way out was to be like, yeah, you guys were right. <laughs> I I was totally, I was so far gone on this stuff. I blew my whole life up, but look, here's what I'm doing now. And here's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to tell everybody about it. You know, and I don't know that I didn't really ask for much advice on, on that. You know, like when I was, I have a podcast now 11 years ago. I mean, obviously, right. But 11 years ago, when I, uh, when I first got sober, I had a podcast. I was probably, nine months sober when I started it, you know, which was against my better judgment or against the judgment of others, whatever. And, and you know what? You need all the, all that advice. If you're hanging around the right people, you always end up hearing the right things, you know, and, and you, you know, you have the ability to process it. If you're in, like, I like to think if you're in a good spiritual place, like you get, you, you take, you seek counsel with people and then you, you, you settle down and you make a decision. Um, I, and, you know, I guess I'm I'm saying all that, and it's I, I'm kind of blabbering, but I love I love the theory of, and I'm not. It's weird too, dude, because um, I don't know that I would run around telling everybody to do what you did, to do what I did, but clearly it's working for you, and clearly it's working for me. There's an accountability, and there's you know you don't want to be ashamed. There's then that's what I said earlier. You have nothing to be ashamed of. So what are you doing today? Because you're doing so much stuff, dude. 
Like over the pa- over the course of the past nine months, how has this you know you helping people, talking about what you're doing? How has that taken flight? Yeah, man, and you said everything on on the dot there. It's it's crazy. Ever since you share, ever since I shared that first story, it's schools calling me. You know, um, I've been sharing my story all around Canada, pretty much, and 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 staying. Staying on top, I want to be the mental health guy for, for these hockey leagues down in Saskatchewan, and, and I'm working on that right now. And I just get a lot of messages every day with athletes uh, about what's really going on with them. So I'm just trying to help because it's really it's crucial, man. There's a lot of these hockey leagues, there's a lot of these sports guys that are bringing uh, mental health guys in that don't have a background of sports. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So – I'm trying to send in emails and I'm, I'm trying to get my face in there to be that guy because I get hundreds of messages a day with athletes, man, on, on saying what's going on. And it all boils down to they're scared to speak up and they're scared to get judged. And, and the best thing I did was spoke up. And, and it's crazy, like I said before, how much support and how big this sober world is, man. I, I never thought I would ever be on here with Pete Sousa right now talking about my story, but it all it's all boils down to being vulnerable and and i'm telling these guys all it could take is that one conversation that one conversation could change your life forever because it did for me and being real and raw because everyone i'm a firm believer p that everyone is going through something but no everyone is scared to speak up especially us males man you know how (laughs) it is it's we got to be the alphas hey we got to be the tough guys all the time but man i tried doing that i almost died and and that's and I'm confident saying that I have no shame anymore. Like you say, I don't have any shame anymore speaking up and telling my story. I don't have any shame saying I'm an alcoholic. I was a drug addict because that's what's who I am, but that's not who I am, you know? So I got so much passion for what I'm doing, man. Cause it's, I know there's a lot of people struggling out there. And I know people could hear from someone that's been there, you know, that has experience and now he's out of it. Now he's happy and he's doing it himself. And, I don't have anything against uh, counseling and rehab, but I'm just goes to show like being vulnerable is what saved my life, dude. And and doing what I'm doing, so it's huge, dude. I I love it. It's, what's it's what's my new passion? I'm gonna put. I can tell, and it's so important because I'm telling you, man, what you have now, um, and it's like a you know you got 13 months. As far as I'm concerned, you might as well have forever. And here's what I mean, like some of my most vibrant moments in sobriety and in life dude purest pure as the driven fucking snow was when i was a year sober eight months sober seven months sober i was working a program this was for me i i I was i was just so connected and so dialed in and i was like you know now there was a lot of stuff i wasn't as polished as i i'm not polished i shouldn't fucking say that I, i didn't have a chance to um learn in sobriety and how to live life i'm definitely not polished but I, I had to learn how to do things sober over the course of time. You know what I mean? But as far as, like, my thoughts and my actions and, like, dude, it, it's it's the best. I, I just love what you're doing. This is the last question for you because we're coming up on time. What What's what's next for you? You know, you mentioned I, – I love the fact that, you know, you were, you were a scorer. I've read about you in hockey. You were an incredible scorer. You became a goon because you, you needed to kind of, like, just keep your longevity. You needed to keep a career going. What's next for you? Um, is it going back into playing hockey? Because uh, I know you're going to carry this message. Um, but what is next? Yeah, that's that's huge, man. And, and you know, I, I did play hockey for senior for the first time last year, and that was a big, big accomplishment for myself. But 
I'm more in the coaching aspect of things now, Pete, if, if, if I was being honest, you know, I don't know if I'm ready to get back and playing that competitive hockey. And I just don't, I just, I'm over it. I'm over the, if I'm going to be in the lineup the next day and that I'm just over that. And, and, but I'm here for the kids and I want to be the guy that they can come to and, and talk about their problems. I want to, I want to travel. I want to, I want to go share my stories to as many kids as I can. Cause I know there's a lot of kids struggling out there and a lot of adults struggling and, I like, I don't like talking too much about myself, but I mean, it's, it's, it's helping people right now. You know, it's what I do with, with sharing because I'm vulnerable on there, man. Whenever I have a bad day, I like to talk about it and share with people because it's working slowly. So I just want to do the, I want to do my parts and give back to people and, and help out these kids and make sure they're being kids at the end of the day, man. Cause it's tough out there, dude, with, with the kids, especially with the post, virus and all that yeah. shit and you know what i mean man so i'm just trying to do my part and and trying to give back and, and trying to get in these hockey leagues and and to do my part pete so hey where it's can good be, man i'm happy where yeah i can tell where where where, where can people isn't that awesome by the way you you radiate oh, this know. happiness and this aura i i can only imagine it was a much different story on june 5th of, of 2022 where, where can people find you yeah, so if you guys want to add me on on Instagram, is DJ McGrath, D J A Y McGrath, M C G R A T H. Hockey is my Facebook and my Instagram and my TikTok. So I, I'm on there all the time. I'll put you this all in the show notes too. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. yeah, no, please follow me. If you guys have any questions, sports related or life related, you know, I I get back to everyone. I don't. I'm not one of those guys where I let my feed, you know, <laughs> let my messages boil up. But I try my best to get back to everyone because. I just care that much, man. I don't want anyone to go through what I did because if I look back, Pete, and if I spoke up when I was 17, 18 years old, maybe something, but this, everything happens for a reason, man. I'm, I'm kind of blessed this happened to me because I wouldn't be where I am now. Right. So I all it take, all it could take is that one conversation. I'm trying to, trying to help these athletes uh, be better. So yeah, it's good right now, man. DJ, you're the best dude. DJ McGrath. I appreciate it, man. I mean, seriously, dude. Thanks so much for listening to The Payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza, And of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.